Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Sozo, how's everybody doing this morning? <clears throat> awesome. I pray you are doing well this morning. It's good to be in the house. It's good to have you with us online. It's just good to be together however we can be together. Amen? Um, I've said this before to y'all, but I'll say it again. I just really enjoy worshiping with you people. It's, it is an honor and a privilege. You are an easy group of people to lead in worship. I hope you know that. Um, my name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here. Uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for hanging out. Um, Real fast, before uh, we, we get into the Word, um, I just have a few quick things that I need to touch on. Uh, the first is, um, I know it was already announced and already talked about, but just want to make sure that everyone knows that if you're here or you're watching, however, if this is your church, uh, we invite you to uh, come and hang out with us today at Shadle Park Pool. Come and hang out. Be together as a family. Be together as a church. Enjoy some, uh, some, some time together. Enjoy some food. We're providing all the food, so you don't have to bring any. Uh, just bring yourself. Bring a friend. Bring... Uh, 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 just be ready for a good time. Amen? Amen? It's just one of our ways that we just try to take some time and hang out in the summer. We know that uh, we live in the great Northwest, and so therefore we want to take advantage, amen, of our nice weather that we have. And so this is just one of those ways we try to make, make room, make a space for us to be together uh, outside of just our normal Sunday morning gathering. So that's that. Last thing I need to announce uh, real, real quick here, um, you need to mark your calendars uh, for the 28th, the last Sunday of this month. So not this Sunday, not this coming Sunday, but the following one. Everybody say the 28th. Come on, talk to me. The 28th. Turn to your uh, significant other and tell them 28th. Um, so now you, you can, now you can blame them. If they don't remember, you can say, I reminded you. Um, uh, we, we, we know that something's coming up. Christmas is coming up. And if we would have been better at marketing, we would have tried to make this announcement in July and kind of lumped on with the whole Christmas in July thing, but we're not that clever. Uh, so uh, some of you have been starting to ask what our plan for Christmas is this year. Uh, you're asking that because some of you uh, look far enough ahead and you realize that Christmas falls on a Sunday this year. Uh, and so you're, uh, some of you have been asking, what's our plan as a church? We've traditionally done a Christmas Eve service. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle all that? Uh, we have an extremely exciting announcement uh, that, that you and your friends don't want to miss. So uh, we're giving you warnings so that you can make sure to kind of uh, uh, be aware of that day, tune in and hear about it. Uh, we, we want you to hear about it and not hear about it through the grapevine. Amen? So, uh, so be here that day. Really, really excited about what the Lord's doing, what he's called us to do in this season. And, uh, and I'm super pumped to finally get to share it with you. So, so have, I, have I got you wanting to, to hear about it enough? Can I move on? Okay, good. Um, all right. Um, I was ready to move on in our text, and I'm excited about what's next for us in, in John. We've been in a series, as you can probably guess from the video if you're a guest here with us, uh, through, through the Gospel of John uh, for several years now. Uh, that's just kind of who we are. We just make our way uh, through books of the Bible and, uh, and see what the Lord would say to us in the midst of them. And we've been in John for, for several years now, and we're, we're not nearly done. 
Um, we've, got, we've got a long way to go. And, and in fact, the, the reality is we've been in one chapter of John all of this year. And when I say one chapter, I mean the first half of one chapter uh, for all of this year. And, and I'm, I'm excited about uh, kind of what the Lord has been putting in us and, and preparing for us as we've been in that. Um, and I was excited to actually move on to the next piece. And, and I just, as I was praying, as I was just praying for you, as I was praying for this, I felt like, especially because we had a couple of, uh, of weeks away from this, I want to make sure that we don't lose hold of this. How many of you know when you're, when you're, when you're going somewhere quickly, it's easy to forget where you're going? Right? When, when things are happening, when life is busy, when life is full, uh, it's easy. You know, I, I remember going to a, a leadership training once in, in a, a guy got up and he was talking about how important as a leader casting a vision is for people. It's important to cast a vision. And, and they, they said, you, know, you, have to make, you have to cast a vision that makes people want to get into that and want to give their lives to it. And they said, but the problem is that, that, that vision leaks, right? It leaks out. So you have to constantly be doing it. And he said, there's three things, he said, that, that, that make vision leak. He said, he said, failure makes vision leak. When you, when you set a goal, when you, set a, when you have a vision to, to accomplish something, maybe you've experienced this, maybe it's a get in shape, maybe it's build a new habit and you kind of fail at that or maybe you're, the, the, the shape that you're in is, is getting larger, not smaller and, and so you're, you're struggling with it and it makes you want to give up on the vision, right? But the other thing that also makes vision not stick is, is success, right? You get so excited about things working that you forget how it's working, <laughs> And so we lose track of it, we lose hold of it, and, 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 we, and we let it go. So he said, failure makes vision leak, success makes vision leak. And here's the one that surprised me. He said, everything in between that makes vision leak. <laughs> right? Life just makes vision leak. And so what I don't want us to do is lose sight of what the Lord has put before us. So yes, we are going to turn in our Bibles to John 15. We'll get there in a minute. And yes, we're going to go over this whole thing again. Because what I want to do this morning, if you'll give me permission... And if you won't, I'll do it anyways. What I'd like to do is this. I want to remind us of what the Lord's been doing. I want to just take a Sunday and just sort of hit pause and just sort of refresh. You, you know, does anybody, is anybody else kind of uh, have t- you know, TV shows that you watch maybe with your kids or, or by yourself? And, and now in the new world that we're in with, with streaming, right? Uh, the new season comes out, and if you're like me, you've forgotten the last season before you start the new season. You're like, I don't remember who this, what this show is. And, and what I don't want to have to do, right, is rewatch all of it. So what I love is when, is when, when one of the services will provide a recap, right? Like, like this, this is what happened. I was like, oh, thank you. I get, okay, good. Kind of know kind of where we are. That's what I want to do this morning. I want to sort of recap and remind us of what Jesus has been doing in the text, but also in our midst. Amen. What I want us to see is that Jesus really, in this, in this text in John 15, which is a, if you're not familiar with this, is a somewhat famous passage of, of Jesus teaching on this picture of the, calling himself the vine and his father the vine dresser and calling us his branches. What Jesus is really doing is, is, is he is freeing us from our inherited need to measure ourselves in order to prove our identity. This, this, this learned behavior that, that we place on us, he's freeing us from that so he can deliver us to a place of security in him. So that we can know who we are in him apart from any external uh, merit or proof or earning or achievement. He's delivering his disciples from this. They're about to go through what, what we could 
arguably be made the, the hardest thing they've ever gone through. Their rabbi, the one they've given their entire lives to following, the, the one that they've chosen to be with him so they can be like him, he's about to depart from them in a horrific manner. He is about to be crucified, to be convicted, to be condemned, to be killed by the very religious system that claims to be waiting for him. And his disciples are going to be scattered. And so in this last night that he has with them, he wants to take a moment and say, listen, 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 you've got to realize that everything you need for this next coming season and even the season beyond that and ultimately for your entire existence is going to be found in you knowing who you are in me and you knowing who I am in you. He's trying to free them from any external need for this. The broken system of our world has trained us from the moment of our birth Come on, from the moment of our birth to validate our identity and and to prove our value and our worth by what we can accomplish, right? If you haven't figured that out yet, it's why you're not paid very well at your job. Because if you figured it out, you'd probably be doing better at your job. Right, right, everything in life, how well you perform, that either gets you on the team or not on the team, right? How well, you, how well you prove that you can regurgitate information that was shoved down your throat in a classroom, that tells you what grade you get. The grade that you earned is what tells you how smart you are. Right? Everything, this is, this is, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is what the world has. This is the rhythm and the drumbeat, the, the system and the structure that we are born into. And Jesus takes that and he flips it on its head. And he says, oh, no, no, you're not, you're not who you are based upon your own decision or based upon your own capacity to accomplish or achieve. You are who you are because I say that's who you are. Simply by my declaration, that is what establishes you as who you are. Jesus comes to a people with heavy, burdened hearts and, and, and static-filled, come on, noise-filled lives And he says, all of that has to get put away. He comes to them to try to break all of that off of them. He declares identity apart from productivity. Jesus says, you are who you are, not because you earn it or merit it, again, but because I say you are. Even more than that, he actually says that not only is your identity not tied to your productivity, but he actually says that the path to productivity isn't the one that you've been trained your whole life. That true, true, eternal, not terrestrial, but eternal productivity is actually found on a completely different path. And so with that in mind, let's go to John chapter 15. We're going to read a whole lot of Bible this morning, and you love that, don't you? All right, so let's stand to our feet. John chapter 15, we're going to go one all the way to 17. We read out of the ESV Bible here. We stand for the reading of God's word uh, because we want to show reverence, respect, and honor to God and the gift that he gave us, amen, of learning to hear his whisper by giving us his word. So we stand because we believe this is the word of the Lord, amen? All right, John chapter 15, we're going to read a lot. So get your good hearing ears on. Jesus speaking to his disciples. And to his disciples only, he says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Pause. I just want to remind us, we learned that word, the Greek there for take away, could also mean just as valid, could mean take up. 
So don't let, don't let religion jump in here and say, well, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, means if I, I have to produce fruit or else I don't get to be a branch anymore. No, 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 contextually we saw, I'm not going back to this, you can go back in the archives, let's do it yourself. I'm, I, I do not believe take away is the right way to translate this word. It ought to be bears up, lifts up. So I'm gonna read it that way because I have a microphone. <laughs> every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes up, he bears up. And every, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse three, already you are clean. Hear that, hear that, beloved, hear that. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Was he called to do now, verse four? Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse five, here's where we find out who we are. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Come on, everybody say nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. So there is a warning in the text. Me me altering, me me trying to clarify that the previous verses doesn't change the warning here. But they're different warnings. You, You tracking with me? Again, I'm just reminding us. Every branch in me that does, uh, sorry, if if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Again, remind us here, again, that that we are loved with the same measure and the same means that Jesus is loved by the Father. That right there is worth the price of driving to church. You can just pack up your stuff and go home now if you actually believed that. (laughs) Come on, you are loved just like Jesus loves you, just like the Father loves him. Divine, supernatural, extraterrestrial, out-of-this-world love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. How many of you think if you had access to all of Jesus' joy, your joy would be full? How many people think he has more joy than you have capacity to retain joy? I think if we got around Jesus' joy and actually got his joy, his joy would spill out. Verse 12. This is my commandment. You all were, you all, all the religious people in the room heard the commandment. They go, well, what do I have to, is that the 10 commandments? Is that, is that more than that? Was that, what is that? No, no, here's what he says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In other words, that clarifies his statement about if you want to continually abide in my love, learn to be a conduit of my love, not just a container of my love. He's talking functionally here. If you want to abide in his love, you need to get in the river that flows that is his love. And as you do that, that love will get on other people. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants do not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you so that you will love one 
another. Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. Come on, church, can we say thank you to Jesus for his word? Thank you, God, for your word. Lord, corporately we thank you, but individually we thank you. We rejoice in the reality of your word to us. We thank you, God, that that you have not left us to wonder or to wonder as to what it is you would speak to your people, but you speak clearly to us as your people. I thank you for your word. We ask, God, now that you would come in a unique way. God, we thank you that you are here. We sang about it. Your word declares it that you, you are in the midst of your people. You never leave your people. You never forsake your people. But now we ask that you would make yourself known in a unique way. And that way, Lord, is to take your word and make it come alive in our hearing. That in the midst of your word, we would hear your whisper. That when we hear your whisper, we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive and feet to respond. God, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts softened by your spirit. Give us feet empowered by you to leave this place. As we, as we hear, as we receive, as we respond, God, that, that we would leave this place, leave this moment, leave this time transformed, not by behavior modification, not by some self-driven desire to follow an external set of rules, but rather, God, by being transformed in the innermost being of who we are, finding new levels and new layers of life within ourselves, not because of what we have done, not because of who we are, but because of what you've done and because of who you are, that we might be transformed by you today, Lord, walking in the fullness of who you say we are, For the good of all people and for the glory of your name, let us be doers of your word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Come on, everybody said? High five somebody real fast and grab a seat. Amen, amen, amen. It's good to be together. I always love the fact that when I tell people to greet other people, all the introverts glare at me. And I know you're an introvert because you just sit right down and you disobey me. And I'm okay with that because when somebody else is up here preaching and they do it, I disobey them. So... um, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. I, I want to I go ahead and jump in. I've got a lot to cover this morning, and I honestly don't know how, I'm gonna, how much I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover. The, the truth is, is this, that this, the, this has sort of shifted even, even this morning um, as I was here praying and, and, and really just trying to hear the heart of the Lord for us today. Uh, some of this has even shifted. But if you're taking notes, uh, you, you, can, you can title this, Keep Abiding. <laughs> Keep Abiding. How resting is our only path to receiving. Um, we're, we, this, this, I believe, <laughs> I've believed this before, so uh, I believe will be the last time we're in these verses. Um, 
and, and I think part of the reason why the Lord would have me remind us is because though we, listen, listen, please, though we are, though we are moving in the text, we are not leaving this principle. This is, this is not, listen, abiding is not something we do and check it off the box and then move on to something else. Jesus here is saying this is fundamentally at the core level. He's telling us who he is, who we are, who his father is, and how all of that is supposed to work together. You don't check that box and move on. You don't, you don't, uh, you don't accomplish, this is not like a video game where it's like, you know, achievement completed and now you get to move on. You figured out abiding and now move on. That, that's, that's what we do in, our, in, our, in our, our natural life, right? We have seasons of rest and we have seasons of labor. We, we have that in our daily life. We have that in our, the rhythms of our life. But what Jesus here is trying to explain to us is that, 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 that the natural is a bad picture of the supernatural in this instance. He's trying to get us to understand that everything flows out of our abiding. He destroys the whole system of, of labor and, and proving and meriting and earning, and he frees us by his word and by his words, according to the text. By the revelation, which he said that by the logos, he cleanses us. Real fast, real quick, uh, uh, you know, recap of this, uh, just to remind us. We saw that when Jesus says, already you are clean by the word that I've spoke to, that word, word, the word, 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 the word in Greek for word, word, is, uh, is the word logos. Everybody say logos. Or if, if you're white American, logos. Um, logos. It's, it's, it's a Greek word that means word, but what it means beyond just word, there's actually, in Greek, there's several words for word, because they like the word word, so they have lots of words for word. And this one specifically means like the, the and you'll hear it when, when, when I say this, the word logos is it's part of where we get the idea of logic. It's the logical demonstration. It's the logical de- declaration. It's, it's, what, it's, the, it's the message that Jesus is trying to deliver. And what we see from the beginning of John is that what Jesus came to show us, what Jesus came to do was to declare to us and to correct in us our understanding of who the Father is. I was meditating on this this week, how interesting it is to me that the people that claimed to have the best theology in Jesus' day are the ones that missed him the most. The word theology literally just means the, the, the study or the science or the understanding of who God is. And, and the people that, had, that, that claimed to have the best theology, that knew their Bibles better than you know yours, when the word made flesh showed up, missed him utterly and completely. And what Jesus comes to do is make sure that we, we, we don't get so obsessed, listen, with, with the educational aspect of theology and miss the incarnational aspect of theology. He comes to show us who the Father is. And what Jesus is saying when he says, by the logos that I delivered you, that's what cleans you. What he's saying is that what the real root, listen, listen, the real root of all your behavioral sin is the belief sin that God is not who he claims to be. This is what we see in the very first account in the scriptures. God makes everything good. He does everything good. He, he makes mankind, he makes man and woman, he blesses them, he gives them all that they have need of, and the first lie that comes into the garden is God's a no good liar. 
Serpent in the tree tells Eve, says, hey, if you really want to be like God, you have to do something. The system is created. We've all been living in that system ever since. System is created. There it is. Here you go. You need to accomplish these things in order to be. Again, I've said this to you before. I'm going to keep saying it. Eve's response should have been, I am already like God. Well, what do you mean I have to do something to be like God? I, 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 was, I was like just created in his image and likeness. But the serpent says, no, God hides good in what he tells you is bad. In other words, you should decide for yourself what's right and what's wrong. You should determine, you, you, should, you, you should be the one who gets to determine it. You don't need some God to do that. You should be your own God. Eat of the tree of the knowledge, the awareness, the decision of good and evil. See, see religion says that they ate of the tree of bad. They didn't. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Serpent comes and says, God is a no good liar. He's not good. Despite the evidence, every evidence to the contrary. Read the first three chapters of Genesis and show me what God didn't do that was good. Okay, you got me. He made everything. He said it was all good. He saw a dude by himself, and that's the only thing he said wasn't good. But he fixed that by making this, the, the upgrade, the 2.0. He, he took man, let's upgrade this 2.0 woman. Let's make that. Here we go. Man, if that offends you, you're an idiot. I'm just going to get off that now. Let's move on. I got other things I need to offend you with. We'll get there later. So he corrects even that, right? He gives them all things richly to enjoy. He says, hey, by the way, don't eat that one tree. So many questions I want to ask our first parents, Adam and Eve. Like, why were you even by the tree? Why didn't you just tell me you were like God? And the problem is I actually think there is some evidence as to why Eve partook of the tree. Because she actually had bought into a religion. See, God tells, see, see, God first makes Adam, and he gives the commandment to Adam, don't eat of that tree. Then Eve is created. And we know this because when Eve responds to the serpent, here's what she says. What God said was this, don't eat of the tree. That's the whole commandment. That's what God tells them to do. Don't eat that tree. Simple, right? But when Eve responds, she says, God told us we shouldn't even touch it. What is that? That's religion. That's, that's taking what God says and then adding a little bit to it. Just try to make people safe. This is, this, is, this is seen consistently even in modern religion where we try to take what God says and then add a bunch of stuff to it. All in good, in good hearts, in good context. Listen, all of, all of the religious baggage that I have, I am fully convinced, was given to me by people who were trying to help me. Can I get amen from anybody who knows what I'm talking about, please? Am I preaching to the right group of people? Right, like, like it, the, the, all this stuff that I care about, people are like, well, you know, you're a little, uh, so we should probably, like Jesus was the worst religious leader ever. Ah! Here, I can prove it. I can prove it, okay? So we, we read this, woman at the well, right? Remember the story of the woman at the well? woman at the well, is, she, she comes out at the wrong time of day because she doesn't want to be around anybody else. She gets there, Jesus meets her there. They start talking. She wants to kind of make it religious. He wants to get to her heart. And so he says, hey, go get your husband. And she's like, oh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. You've had a lot of husbands. <laughs> and the dude you're shacking up with right now, he ain't even your husband. And she's like, you, I, I love it. She, her response, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> I 
here's here's why Jesus is the worst religious leader ever. Jesus takes that woman. Can we all all just for like two seconds agree like her issue is men? Right? Like she, she does not have healthy boundaries. And he sends her back to the city with a bunch of dudes. Like if Jesus was half as good of a religious leader as the pastors I was under, he would have given her to a, like a group of, of apostolic Lutheran women. You know the ones we talk about? Like long denim dresses, hair in a bun. Like you go hang out with them for a while and you get your issues de- dealt with. You know what I'm talking about. Like we got a group you can join. Men aren't allowed there. You just need to get some inner healing. Got some steps for you to take. A couple books for you to read. An online class and a conference for you to go to. And maybe after 12 or 15 or 20 years, maybe you can look at another guy. But Jesus trusts the encounter that she had with him more than the sin that she'd been trapped in for all that time. He's a horrible religious leader. That's why I say Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to abolish all religions and restore us back to right relationship with his father. I have not even started the message yet. Um, Here's the way I look at it. You didn't hear me preach for two weeks, so I owe you three messages today. No? Okay, whatever. Um, Thought you loved me. Jesus abolishes all this. He calls us simply to abide in him. The struggle that so many of us have when we read these verses, and I think the reason why the Lord would not let us move on, is because, track with me, track with me. We believe this, but we don't believe this. We, we believe this on Sunday morning, <laughs> but we don't believe it on Monday morning. We believe this in, 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 the, in the context of gathering with a bunch of other believers and, and singing and hearing his word and the atmosphere that's here, but when we step into anything else, it's not here. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a foundational reality for us. It might be a factual truth that we agree with. We might agree with it, but we don't entrust our lives to it. What do I mean? I mean when things zig when we thought they were going to zag, the first place our brain goes is, I clearly screwed something up. I didn't accomplish it. I should be farther. I should, I should, I should, I should. What do I need to do to fix this? How do I make this right? Well, listen, we Protestants like to point fingers at Catholics for, for penance, but we do it to ourselves. We, we don't need a priest to tell us. We, we, just, we just beat ourselves up. Jesus comes and says, no, listen, the only thing you need to do is abide. We're trained, we're trained both by religion and by rebellion that we have to accomplish it on our own. If you want to be a good person, religion says, here's the, here's the list of things you need to accomplish. Here's the list of things you need to avoid. And here's the truth. Listen, listen, listen. Let's put the cards on the table. Rebellion says the same thing. Here's what you need to, here's how you need to behave, here's how you need, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to not do. 
Think about it like this. The re- rebellion says you need to go with the flow. Religion says you need to cut against the grain. And Jesus says you just need to get out of the water. <laughs> Jesus says this isn't, this isn't what it's all about. This isn't what it's all about at all. In this, in this analogy, in this picture, he shows us. He says, I am the vine. You, my, my father's the vine dresser. You're the branches. And listen, fruit is going to happen. If you just stay abiding, if you, if you just learn how to abide, what, is, what does abide mean? What does abide mean? Abide means to rest and remain in the life-giving union of mutual indwelling. You, you need to, you, that, simplify it even beyond that. You need to rest and remain so you can receive. There, there, there is an exchange that needs to take place, can take place when we abide. When we, when we stop, when we, when we hit the pause button, when we, when we exit the, 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 the rat race that we've been taught we have to get into. This, this happens religiously, this happens emotionally, this happens identi- in, our, in our identity, this happens in our security. We, we think we have to accomplish something in order to be secure. We have to accomplish something in order to be who we say we are. We have to achieve or know or experience joy. And Jesus says, all of that will be yours if you just abide in me. If you just, if you exit from all of that and find yourself in me. Here's here's why I know that we believe this, but we don't believe this. Because here's what I get emails from you all, and here's what I, I'm not going to look at anybody. <laughs> I get emails from y'all. I, you come up and talk to me after the service. I hear from our belong group leaders the number one question that people are asking right now. Okay, how do I do that? Okay, I, I agree with you. I need to abide. How do I do that? You're still in the wrong thing. No, 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 I just need you to make this practical. No, you need me to make it something you can do so that you don't have to abide. I I love you. I really do love you. I'm not trying to be mean. As long as we're still in this mindset that says, okay, what what do I have to accomplish in order to abide? you're, You're missing the entire point. Galatians 4 through, through 5, right? We, we, we talked about this. We, we got into this. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to go back into there. See the, see, the call to abide is a call to abandon all self-effort. How much self-effort are you supposed to give in the kingdom? None. Zero. The call to abide is Jesus saying your ability to muster up something that you think is productive is actually counterproductive. You're called to abandon all of your self-effort. Galatians 4 and 5 is the story of, of, how, of how Paul uses the, the picture of how Abraham and Sarah had been promised a son. They got sick and tired of abiding. They got sick and tired of waiting. So they, they, they stepped into their own ideas, their own way of doing it, their own path, their own, uh, you know, drum it up and try to figure it out on our own. They step into this. And, and, and so, so Abraham sleeps with, with, with Sarah's uh, servant, Hagar, and she bears a son named Ishmael. 
And what the text shows us is that all of this is a picture of how when we, when we move into self-effort, we don't birth the promise, we birth self-effort. But Isaac is the son of the promise, the text says, and he is given through, through that abiding, through that, through, that, through that resting in the promise of God. And, 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 and what we see is that Ishmael becomes a picture of self-effort and striving and, 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 and motivation and pushing and proving and meriting. And, Ish, and Isaac is supposed to be what we have. And what does Isaac mean? It means joy. How do you know if you're abiding? Is your life ever more being filled with the joy that he promised you? As long as we keep trying to abide, we're not abiding. I, I, I love you. As long as you are, are, are striving to abide, you're missing the point. I, I, I used to teach this a lot. I used to say this a lot. I haven't said it in years. Maybe I need to start saying it again. The gospel is not try harder, it's trust more. It's not stand up, it's lean in. The problem, again, is that everything else in our life runs contrary to this. Can I tell you, that's how we know it's the truth? Because it's not just some painted up version of something else. It's not just some painted up version. Come on. It's not just some like, some, 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 oh, we just find some verses and we throw it into, you know, what works without Jesus. No, it, it only works if he is who he says he is, his father is who he says his father is, and we, is who, we are who he says we are. It's the only way this works. But what do I, but what do I, but what do, but what do, I do? You do everything he told you to do, and the only thing he told you to do is abide. But I... Uh, And he, maybe, maybe, okay, let's go here. Maybe you don't struggle with this, you don't think you struggle with this for yourself because you're really good at projecting it onto other people. A bunch of y'all are going to be like, I don't, I'm totally good with abiding. Other people better get stuff done so I can abide. I think this is what Doug was talking about. We talk about entitlement. And this entitled attitude that can sneak into this sometimes. That's not what Jesus is, is speaking of here. He's not saying that. He's saying, look, all, all of you are branches. The whole thing is that we're just supposed to abide and love one another. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You, you rest and remain exclusively in him because he's the only place you can receive what you need. Jesus' claims of exclusivity are not because he doesn't want to share you with other people. He doesn't. But it's because there's nowhere else you can go to find satisfaction. If he were to offer you something less than himself, he would be less than good. Are you tracking with me? He offers you himself because he's the best thing. Not because he's saying like, well, you know, there's something better over there, but I don't know. This is what I've tried to get us to understand. When you, when you grab a hold of what I call the Abba awareness, the, aware, the, 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 the revelation that God is your father, what that comes to take up root in your life is this. You understand that if there's anything good for you that's within his power to give you, you will have it. Yeah. 
anything good for you that's within his power. This is what parenting is. Come on. When we're doing it right, which all of us suck to some degree. Can we say an amen, right? Liberation, not condemnation. Amen? But, but parenting, when it's done right, is if it's good for my kid and I have the ability to give it to them, I give it to them. Now, how, how many of us parents want to admit that our kids have a different idea of what's good for them than we do? Let's go real, real, real here. How many of us know sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong? <laughs> right? But to the best of our abilities, if, it, if it's within my power to do and it's good for them, freely I give it to my children. That's, that's what parenting is. That's what it means to have God as your father. That's what it means to be a branch in a vine cared for by the vine dresser who is your Abba. It means if it's, if, if it's within his power, which how much is within his power? Sound like a bunch of Calvinists. God's sovereign or something. All things are within his power. So that means if it's good for me, I have it. Somebody asked me once, because I do believe and teach in the sovereignty of God, somebody said, well, what would you, what would you, you'd have a real hard time teaching that if some, you know, if one of your children died, if your wife died, I thought, you are the worst person I've ever met. But I gave them a response. This was an email, it was an online, online sozo person. And I said, if, 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 if I'm going to be honest, and I've shared this with publicly before, that the number one idol in my life is my family. It's really easy for me to make my, 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 my kids and my wife into idols. I, I love them. I have a good marriage. I have great kids. It's all their mother's fault. Um, it's easy for me to make that into an idol. But, but, I, but I told them this, and I, and, and I mean this, with every ounce that I can mean it, without having walked through that, I would, I, here's what I said. If that's what happened, that would be the best thing that could happen to me. Because if it's good for me and within his power, I have it. But what, but what do I, but what do I, you trust, you lean in, you trust, you rest, you remain. But we're obsessed with the fruitfulness part of this, aren't we? But he talks about fruit in here, so how do I, how do I get the fruit? You abide. <laughs> There's no way to become productive apart from abiding. We become obsessed with fruitfulness, even as believers, because we think we have to prove our sonship and earn our security. And listen to me now and hear me later. That is a lie from hell. Because you see, Jesus says he exclusively is the place that you have to go to become fruitful. If you believe that you have to become fruitful in order to abide, you will disconnect with him and therefore never be fruitful. And be stuck in an endless cycle in your life of trying to make yourself fruitful out of things that can never make you fruitful. And your life will be filled with, with Ishmael's and Hagar's and you'll wonder why you don't know the goodness of God in your life. And all the while he's saying what he says in Galatians 4, kick all that crap out of your life and just abide. Just be done with it. Just, 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 just get rid of it. Jesus tells them that for the abiding branch, much fruit is inevitable. It's an inevitability that you will be fruitful. Just abide. Here's, here, <laughs> come on, let's, let's agree, let's, let's be real, let's be honest. My watch and God's watch 
don't seem to be running on the same time frame. He has yet to add me to his calendar on my iPhone. I keep putting stuff in there on my time frame, and he does not seem to care. Come on, come on, come on, talk to me, talk to me. Am I, am I, am I the only one? I, this should have happened by now. I, I should have this already. This week was my youngest daughter, Balencia's 13th birthday. So officially, I have no more like non-teenage or older children, um, which is a weird thing because I'm still trying to figure out who let Mark and Ty have kids. Um, and her birthday was on Thursday. Her birthday was on Thursday, right? Okay, good. Woo. Okay, her birthday was on Thursday. I get lost in time. And, and starting uh, on Sunday, she started saying, I, I really wish it was Thursday already. I really wish it was, she, she wanted to be a teenager. She was born a teenager, by the way. If you know Valencia, um, went out to lunch, and the person t- said, we told her it was her birthday. She said, how old? We told her 13. She said, 18? And we said, no, 13. Stop it. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, she, she was born 16. She's just, the world hasn't caught up yet. Um, and, uh, and, and she, she just wanted to get there. She just wanted to, she, she wanted to be Thursday. And so, so what I did, uh, and I don't remember which day it was. I think this was Monday. I said, oh, so, and I just rattled off all the amazing things that we were going to get to do before Thursday. So, so you want to skip this, and you want to skip this, and you want to skip this, and you want to skip this? Well, well, no, I just want it to be my birthday. And I thought, how beautiful of a picture of that is that with me and the Lord? God, I just, want, I just want to get to here. And he's like, but you don't know all the good stuff I have for you between here and there. How many of us are like my daughter? We spent our whole teenage years wishing we could be older, and now we're like, dang it. How, how many of you want to go back to yourself when you were younger and just smack yourself upside the head for like, go take a nap, seriously. <laughs> when you get older, you're going to wish you would have taken that nap. Because yeah. that's not an option at a certain age. <laughs> my, my youngest brother has a one-year-old and... He, 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 <laughs> Parents are all excited because they're like, yeah, she's about ready to walk. And I'm like, push her down. <laughs> I offered. I, I asked my wife. I offered. I said, I have ankle weights in the basement. I will get them for you. They were bought as a gag gift for my son. I will get you. They're one pound each. Put them on her ankle. She won't move anywhere. They looked at me like I was horrible. I'm like, this is your first kid. Cocked me about three or four. When that thing's running around, you can't. You have no freedom left at all. Push them down. We're, we're in such a hurry, right, to, to rush past and to move beyond. We do this to ourselves. Religion does this to us. Religion gets down inside. Here's, here's one, here's one, here's one. I should be free from this sin pattern already. I should have my, I'm going to be Christian, stuff together better than I have my stuff together. If I was really, if I was really a son, I, I would have my stuff together more. Okay, I, I joke about, I, I joke about the, the baby, right? Push her down. No parent in this room ever yelled at their one-year-old when they fell over. What did you do when your one-year-old fell over? You laughed. Come on, be honest. You laughed. It was funny. 
I've been declaring this over you for a couple months now, and I'm going to keep doing it. You are exactly where you're supposed to be. And as long as you keep trying to be somewhere that you're not, you're never going to be able to grow from where you are. Brendan Manning, one of the guys who's shaped my theology of who God is more than almost anybody else, but I don't think he took it far enough, so I'm going to fix it. He says, God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. I take it further and say, and his love is the only thing that will make you from what you are into what you ought to be. So until you receive his love as you are, you'll never be as you ought to be. Jesus comes and says, look, the only way you're going to get to productivity, the only way you're going to get to fruitfulness, the text says it clearly, like, as long as you abide, look, fruit is an inevitability. It's going to happen. Let, let's, let's get PG-13. Sarah and Abraham are promised a son. All Abraham and Sarah have to do is remain intimate and that son will happen. Abraham, just keep chasing Sarah around the tent. <laughs> just, just stay in love with each other. Just stay intimate with each other. Just, just, the, the promise of God had come. That's all they had to do. The same is true of us with him. Just remain in intimacy, and productivity is the natural byproduct of that. It's what will happen. It's what's going to take place. It's, it's the inevitable result of our intimacy. But see, we, we prefer to get intimate with our good ideas instead of just remaining intimate with him. So when intimacy with Sarah doesn't work, Sarah comes up with a good idea. It's a good idea. Hey, Hagar's right here. Let's, let's just do like the marriage thing with her. Y'all can do your thing, and then we'll have a kid. And if I'm going to be totally transparent pastorally here for a minute, most of the issues I have to deal with pastorally in the lives of people are just a bunch of Ishmaels running around their lives. The results of self-effort, the results of self-work, some of it's religion, some of it's rebellion. It doesn't really matter. They're all Ishmael. And so I, I came to you several months ago with, with the prophetic word that it was liberation day, that Ishmael's time to go. And the problem is a bunch of you heard that as I need to get rid of sin patterns in my life. And that wasn't what I said at all. You need to get rid of self-effort. Now, is some of our sin self-effort? Absolutely. But if I'm going to be totally transparent with you again, pastorally here, the deeper stuff usually isn't the, the, the behavioral stuff, it's the belief stuff. And the root of all of it, again, let's get back to, let's, let's land where we started. The root of all of it is God isn't good. He's withholding good from me. So therefore, I'm going to go off, I'm going to, I'm going to stop abiding, I'm going to stop trusting, I'm going to stop resting, I'm going to stop receiving from him, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to find something else that can fulfill me, something else that can sustain me, something else that can make me productive, something else that can break my bad habits, something else that can make me happy, something else that can tell me who I am. And I'll get that here, and then I'll be productive, and then I'll go back to God and I'll go, look, look, look what I did for you. And the, the problem is, he's not interested in that. And the second problem is, it doesn't work. Because if you stop abiding, what the text says is you shrivel up, and the only thing you're good for is firewood. So what do you have to do? 
bide. You do everything he told you to do. And because he knows you, he gave you one thing to do. (laughs) Which one comes first? The one thing. It's one thing. (laughs) Abide. Abide. Draw from him identity, security, and felicity. Don't go looking for any of that stuff anywhere else. Know that in seasons where you feel completely worthless and completely unfruitful, those are the moments where God picks you up and pulls you to himself. It's the only way. It's the only way. It's the only way we're going to be fruitful. It's the only way we're going to be productive. Abide. Abide, 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 abide. Trust that he's good. Trust that he's always only good. Trust in moments when you see his goodness, you're seeing it rightly. And trust that in moments where you don't see his goodness, his goodness is still there. I'll tell you that this will birth a peace in your heart and in your life that you've never known. This, is, this, this last season has been one of the most challenging seasons I've ever pastored through. And I've had more peace through all of it because of this revelation than I've ever had pastoring before it. I mean, with other pastors, and, and literally, they're, they're, I don't know if you know this, but pastors are jumping ship like crazy right now. And I'm not judging any of them for that. But if I'm going to be really, really real with y'all because we can because we're family, I think a lot of them probably should. Yeah, he did. But many of them are doing it because productivity went down. And therefore identity went down, and therefore security went down, and therefore joy went down. But when you can learn to disconnect who you are, how stable stable and secure you feel, and the joy that you experience from how much fruit is in your life, you'll find a identity, a security, and a felicity that you have never experienced before. Because the well that you're drawing from is an eternal one, an unending one. And I, listen, listen, I get it. But here, here, in this, I'll, I'll end with this. If in this season you're experiencing that where you're freaking out because you're realizing, oh my gosh, yeah, I've been doing all this stuff. Listen, listen, listen. Here's the first thing you need to believe. That right there, beloved, is the goodness of God. Not coming for your condemnation, but coming for your liberation. He loves you enough to show you where you are trying to draw from what I love to call lovers less wild than him. Satisfying wells. what we do. It's what we do. We dig, that's what the scriptures say, we dig wells that are unable to hold water and we eat the dirt within it and claim that it's water. Instead of going to the well and drinking freely from it. Let's stand to our feet. Here's what I feel like we need to do this morning. We're going to respond. Let me go over response really fast, our, our typical response, and then, and then let me get to some other stuff. I got through half of my notes. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> We respond three ways as a, as a community, as, as a church. Celebration, contemplation, and communion. 
start at the back end of this. Communion. We, that, we mean that in two ways. Uh, one, we, we partake in the Lord's table. So uh, for all believers in the room, if you're, if you're a Christian here, if you've repented and believed the gospel, um, we, we welcome you, invite you, and would be honored if you would want to take communion with us. Uh, we take by a method known as teaching, where we take a piece of bread or we have gluten-free on the ends in case you need that. Um, take a piece of bread or, or a wafer and dip it in the juice and partake. Again, open to all who put their faith in Jesus. If you're, if you're not a Christian, if you're just here kind of exploring what it means to be a Christian or what, what church or Jesus the Bible is all about, um, uh, we, we, we would just tell you, you don't have to pretend like you're a Christian. Come, come take communion. You can just hang out in your seat. This is something reserved for believers. But maybe the next step is really for you if you're not one, and that is contemplation. We believe that the Lord has spoken to us in the midst of all this. And as he's spoken to you, even if you're not a believer, he's speaking to you. And the thing he's speaking to all of us to one degree or to another is to repent and believe. Those are, those are big church Christian words. Here's all it means. Repent simply means to admit and abandon. Admit and abandon all the wells that you've dug, the wells that you've gone to, to try to go find some sense of who you are, some sense of being secure, some sense of knowing joy, all of that stuff. The Bible has a big label. It just puts all of it in it. It's just called sin. The Bible says repent, admit, and abandon that. Just let it go. And then it calls us to believe and again, belief doesn't mean to mentally agree. The Greek word for belief literally means to embrace and entrust. It's to grab a hold of something and entrust your very life to it. It's saying, okay, Lord, I, I've gone to all these other wells. I've gone to all these other things. I've gone to all this other stuff. I'm admitting and abandoning that, and I'm going back to you. I'm going to simply abide. And hear me. That's how the Christian life starts, and that's how it sustains itself for the entirety of its existence. Where we, where we cling to him fully and completely for everything we need. So if you're here and you're not a believer, you say, hey, no, I just came here to check out church and Jesus. Here's what I'm here to tell you. You thought you came here just to check out church, and we're glad you did. But what you didn't know is that before the foundations of the world were laid, today was set aside as the day that the Lord would introduce himself to you, grant you repentance and faith that you would come to be not only not his enemy any longer, but you would actually be made into his very family. Today, you would become a branch, abiding in the vine, cared for by the vine dresser. And as we contemplate, and as we take the Lord's table, we also commune in another way, and that is one with another. So we've got a team of people down here by the cross if you have a need at all in your life, maybe the Lord stirred something in this message. Maybe you're just going through something in your life. Maybe you have a physical need, financial need, relational need, emotional need. I don't know what kind of need. Whatever need you might have, those people would love to use their magic superpowers to fix all your problems. Just making sure you're listening. They don't have magic superpowers. What they'd have is a God who loves you and who hears us when we pray, who calls us to pray for one another. So they would love the privilege of being able to pray for you. We do believe that when, when we pray, stuff happens, and so we would love to be able to pray with you and see God move in your life. If you're here and you're doing that repenting and believe thing, we would really encourage you to go over there, but it's open to any and all who might need prayer. The last way that we, we respond is through celebration. We believe it's right and good to celebrate the goodness of God, amen? 
And so today, especially, I felt like it was important for us as we sort of, as we sort of remember and, and respond to this idea of abiding, for us to, to call, listen, here, here, here's what I felt. For us to prophetically call ourselves, those around us, and even, listen, even our world out of those dry wells and to Jesus. Amen? How many of you believe that when we, when we pray, stuff happens? When we, when, we, when, we, when we worship, part of what worship is is prayer. You get that, right? So let's worship together. Let's celebrate his goodness in calling us out. And here's what I want you to do. I want you, if there's areas in your life where you've been trying to draw from empty wells, I want you to bring those things to him as we worship. Some of you have people in your life who, who are struggling with, with just the, the fruit of self-effort in their life and you desperately want to see them find liberation. Bring those people in your heart to the Lord as we worship this. Some of you know of and have burdens for things in our world that are broken. Come on. Come on, turn, turn your iPhone on and look at the news. Our world is broken, amen? Do you know that you were put here not just to cry over it, but to declare and to breathe life into those dead places, amen? So let's practice that together this morning. Let's begin to speak some life, declare Jesus into those places, amen? So I'm gonna pray, we're gonna respond. Holy Spirit, thank you for your moving in our midst. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for what you're building in us. Thank you for the way you're freeing us. Thank you for the way that you have caused us and created us to be your sons in the earth. God, I thank you that we really are abiding in the vine, that we really are cared for by your Father, that your Father is our Father, that we can trust you, that you are good. Lord, I pray right now that you would begin to shatter our misconceptions of what goodness looks like, that we would know you and you alone as good. 